Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm Dr. Mary Barson. And I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Good morning, lovely listeners. It's Dr. Lucy here. And guess what? I'm here with the fabulous, the wonderful, the most awesomest person in the world. Dr. Mary. <laughs> thank you so much. That is by far the best introduction I've ever received. Um, yeah, thank you. I'm glowing now. <laughs> oh, good. Well, you know, every single bit of it is the truth. So, <laughs> thank you. How are you, darling girl? Um, I'm well. Um, we're recording this and I'm 34 weeks pregnant now and am processing the fact that I do have gestational diabetes and it, it's taken me a while to um, to accept this, but, but also, to be honest, it's actually only really just become apparent as well. So it's interesting because I have a history of polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a type of severe insulin resistance, and I've had obesity as an adult, both of which are gone and in remission with um with my dietary lifestyle changes. But because I have this history, I needed to get two glucose tolerance tests during my pregnancy, one early and another one at 26 weeks. And the first one was perfectly normal. In fact, I, I went into a hypo afterwards because my body is just not used to processing sugar and I got quite hypoglycemic as so I had to like pump out all this insulin to deal with this sugar that my body didn't know how to cope with. Anyway, I was fine. Good. Yes. And the <laughs> second one was almost normal. It's just the one hour reading was 0.1 millimoles above what is accepted. So I thought, ah, pff, really? You know, plus I'm on a low carb diet. So my body's not very good at dealing with sugar. So it's just like, nah, that's not real. But I got referred to an endocrinologist and I started measuring my blood sugars. I got a continuous glucose monitor. And that was back at 28 weeks, 29 weeks, 30 weeks. And my blood sugars were just perfect, you know, so pristine. Most of the time they were four point something, might go up to six point something after a meal, but then come back down to four point something. And I was like, oh, the endocrinologist is going to be bored with me. But she poured over the data really closely. And she's like, ah, yeah, look, they're, they're good. They're normal, but they do just creep up a bit. At night, they just sort of creep up a little bit from sort of 4 to 5 a.m. I was like, but they're still normal. She goes, yeah, but that's, don't know. And so we kept monitoring it and she was quite convinced that I do have gestational diabetes despite having normal blood sugars. And what is happening is that I do. It's really interesting. My blood sugars are they have no fluctuations. Like because I eat low-carb real food, I don't get high swings in my blood sugar at all. They stay steady. They really do stay steady throughout the day and night, but the baseline is slowly creeping up. So my baseline was, you know, 4.4. Now my baseline's sort of, it, well, last week it was like 5.5 and now it's creeping up to the high fives and it is. It's fascinating to watch and I haven't changed anything really, apart from the fact that I'm gestating a baby. And this baby is, um, well, the placenta to be 
I guess slightly more accurate, is um, pumping my body full of all of these hormones, which are great for him, like helps him to develop. He's having a great time in there. Um, yeah, but they make me more insulin resistant. So my body's having to make more insulin. And this is all like perfectly normal and natural part. All women get insulin resistant towards the, you know, the end of their pregnancy, which is one of the main mechanisms why women gain extra body fat during pregnancy is because of this increase in insulin resistance. But for me, it is spilling over into higher blood sugars. And they're all still normal, like my blood sugars, I'm not having any scary highs or anything like that, but just with this baseline increasing, apparently this can set the baby up for like epigenetic changes in the future. So that means it's not changing the baby's DNA, but it could be changing if it gets worse and it and it isn't treated, it could change sort of the genes that are turned on and off now for this little baby and could potentially set this baby up for insulin resistance later in life is sort of the argument. But my treating team have put forward as to why I'm going to start insulin. And I probably started today. It's just some very low dose, long acting insulin at night to try and bring that baseline down, Um, which, you know, it just is what it is. I am willing to, to accept where I am. I'm willing to be grateful and embrace Western medicine for the great tool that it is and not beat myself up for being genetically primed for this and for being 40 and for being pregnant and for all of these reasons. But also very grateful that I think if I wasn't on a low-carb diet, things would have gone much further south much earlier on. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, we could do a whole podcast episode and and maybe we are um, on... That's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) On um, epigenetics and, you know, we do know that... Um, mothers that have gestational diabetes, their children, their the fetus, the baby, is more likely to develop type 2 diabetes in their adulthood. And the other interesting thing is that if that baby is female, then her children are more likely to develop type 2 diabetes. And the assumption is that if they basically, if they live in a hyperglycemic um, environment. So if they're living, you know, if their mother is has high blood sugars, hence the reason they're everyone's so obsessed with blood sugar in pregnancy, then that is more likely to change that epigenetic outcome. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because a female baby is born with all of her eggs, all the eggs that she's going to ever have, she's born with. Whereas male sperm is manufactured. Yes. Constantly renewed. Yes. Yes. On demand. <laughs> Yeah, lucky them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the epigenetics in sperm is ever changing, and again, it's even that is fascinating, and that's again probably a whole another topic. But yeah, the epigenetics in female baby eggs are they're there. They are, yeah, yeah. Humans, we are so interesting. We are interesting. This has definitely been an interesting journey for me, and I'm working very hard on. Oh no, not I'm just I'm just working hard on feeling fine about it and I genuinely do I genuinely do I've got beautiful you know people to debrief with like you Dr Lucy and I could just accept this this is what it is and I think that this is a good thing to be able to do you know 
low-carb real food can reverse type 2 diabetes for many, many people, but not everybody. You know, there are some people whose diabetes never completely goes away despite the most amazing lifestyle changes and they still need medication. And that's okay. Same with people who might need blood pressure tablets. Same, it's controversial in low-carb world, but for people who do require cholesterol-lowering medication to stabilise, you know, the, the plaque formation that's already there in their arteries to prevent further strokes and heart attacks. If you need to take these medicines, it's all right. There's still so much that is within your control. Uh, absolutely. And I think this is the dangers that people can fall into. It's not one or the other. You're not only lifestyle or only medication. You know, lifestyle changes can make huge differences to people's health. And certainly, you know, the way to to lose weight for most people is to change your lifestyle. There are people that change their lifestyle and still require, as you said, medication for high blood pressure. That That's just how it is. It's not their fault. And it's so interesting. There's, a, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have seen this meme. It's a picture and there's people standing at, at a counter, like um, one sign above one counter says lifestyle change and the other sign says pills. And the line, you know, with the pills is all really long and the line with the lifestyle is really short. And the implication is that you can do one or the other, but it's not really true. No, it's definitely both. You and I are doctors, Lucy. We've dedicated decades of our lives to becoming doctors. And Western medicine, what we've been trained in, is it's powerful and it's useful and it's very much okay to use it. Mm. And I think probably what has happened is that and again, this is in Australia and I suspect around the world, is that the the amount of ill health related to current lifestyle can be reversed by lifestyle. So this is in particular processed food, addiction, if you like, to screens, using screens, the reduction in activity, reduction in sleep, increase in work. The interesting thing is that, you know, there's all these time-saving measures that have been invented and yet we seem to be more time poor than ever. <laughs> um, devices, you know, that we are more connected than ever, and yet many people feel more lonely than they've ever felt. Yes, and loneliness is bad for you, which actually brings us to the topic that we were, we were kind of planning <laughs> to discuss in this podcast. I know we've, we've, <laughs> that's all right. It's good. We need a segue. A lovely segue, a lovely segue. And I guess the segue is that we live we do live in what is called an obesogenic environment. The current environment that most humans are living in is filled with processed food. The food is cheap. We, as I said, live in busy lives in using transport, whether it's public transport, cars, you know, much less general activity. And to change this sometimes feels like you're swimming against the tide. And it can feel quite hard and sometimes quite lonely, which is why we at Real Life Medicine, you and I firmly believe in community. Community is powerful. Yep. It is a high-carb world out there. And if you want to use the very powerful tool of low-carb real food and mind management to get your health back on track, then having supportive, like-minded people around you 
makes all the difference. Absolutely. And this is super interesting because, and it does feed back into our first point, I guess, which is that, you know, you and I, Mayors, we've been in lots of various Facebook groups, lots. I've been in lots. I'm still in lots. I'll look on my thing. I go, why am I in all these groups? I can't believe it. But there are many groups that are not very supportive, that for whom Mm. people feel judged and you hear terms that people use like the the keto police or the food police or the, you know, whatever. There's just varying degrees, I guess, of judging that goes on, which can happen in a group. Mm. Humans are inherently judgmental Mm. creatures. And you are right that people join these low-carb groups, keto groups, weight loss groups in the hope to find some community to help them with their lifestyle change, to help them with their transition. But sometimes they can be just filled with bickering. They can be filled with sort of rogue individuals that um, can be very sanctimonious, can be full of very dogmatic views, it's my way or no way, and it can harm people. So they're not always a safe place which is a shame because if you can find the right community, then it can be very, very powerful, healing and transformative. Absolutely. And I think it's really important to notice, and again, you and I, we are in a lot of groups, and I notice in many of these groups the diet culture that goes on, the weight loss at any cost the focusing on the scales, the cheering of numbers lost, which I understand, you know, I do get that. But the outcome is congratulated, not necessarily the way in which it was achieved. Yes. Our community, like our real-life medicine community, in particular the community around our our 12-week mind-body rebalance group, so these these three months programs that we do with lots of beautiful people working on healing their metabolism, changing their mind, and our annual our membership uh, in a real-life Momentum Inner Circle community. These are two communities of which you and I, Lucy, are heavily, heavily invested and involved in and it's some of the most rewarding work I've ever done. And we provide leadership and stewardship for this and we make sure that it is a very supportive place and a place where people can be be themselves, a place where people can be vulnerable, a place where people can share their wins, can share their ideas without that judgment. Absolutely. And I think that's you you're absolutely right. I think there are some groups that I feel like are ships without rudders. Sometimes the leadership's not there, sometimes it's not managed and sometimes, oh, look, I don't, okay. I'm anxious because I don't want to be judgmental, but sometimes the, <laughs> the information given is just incorrect. And I think it's really important that on Facebook is, you know, it's not anyone can be the owner, the administrator, the starter-upper of a group and many people are not qualified. Hmm. we've got communities of people who you know they join usually wanting an outcome of weight loss and that's great we are not we are not against weight loss we love weight loss we are very very pro weight loss and gaining health great outcomes are great but what would you say Lucy is sort of different to the way that we run 
the real life medicine community, the way that we encourage it to be? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a couple of things. One, it is not weight loss at any cost. So the outcome of weight loss, you know, again, this can be achieved in, you know, you can lose weight with a severe calorie restricted diet. You absolutely can. We never, we would, you know, never say that you can't do it. What will happen is it won't stay off, but you will also, or you can also potentially cause harm to your body by doing that. So whilst we are happy to celebrate weight loss, what we are happier celebrating is the process. When you focus on the process and the outcome is secondary, the outcome comes, but it's not at any cost. And I think for lots of us, we have done, well, lots of us, I'm speaking certainly for myself as being a, you know, expert ex-data, many, many brutal things to my body at the time, I didn't even care. I just wanted to lose the weight no matter what. So we do spend time encouraging people to focus on the process, knowing that the outcome will come. So therefore supporting them in that concept of patience, because of course, I mean, I've done it. I've been eating well for two days and I'm still fat. What's going on? (laughs) That's right. I look in the mirror, I go, what? Nothing's happened yet. This is ridiculous. It's not working. (laughs) So we do know that our brains offer up all sorts of stories. So helping, really, really helping people with the stories that keep them stuck or the stories that keep them yo-yoing is absolutely critical. And, again, that's part, it's not just part of our program, that's part of our community. Yeah. It is. The community is it's so powerful and so important. And we don't encourage, we don't discourage, but we don't particularly encourage people to put up before or after photos as well. And, again, that is because we are so focused on the process. And the beautiful thing about focusing on the process of, of weight loss, the way that, that we teach it, the way that we coach and encourage it through metabolic healing with low-carb real food and through, you know, kind, compassionate mind management is that you get a whole lot of fabulous outcomes, not just body fat loss, you get um, normalization of your blood sugars, you know, reduction in your risk factors that are cardiovascular risk factors, you get reduced pain, improved sleep, improved mental well-being, improved quality of life. And there are so many fabulous outcomes when you really shift it to the process and when you shift it to the right kind of process. Absolutely. And I mean, I know lots of groups have, you know, celebrate your wins and and those sorts of things. Um, And the majority of those will focus on the scale number. But ours is really celebrating the behavioural changes that then go on to change your identity. And the absolute key to permanent weight loss is to change your identity. So, you know, we spend a lot of time encouraging people and I guess encouraging change of language. So, you know, for me, I used to always be a chocoholic, sugar addict. Um, you know, I was an emotional eater. You know, that was my identity. It's no longer my identity. And same for a lot of people that join our program. That That is their identity, that they think they're, you know, a sweet tooth. It seems harmless, doesn't it, to say I'm a sweet tooth. Except every time you say it, you're reinforcing that there's some sort of thing outside your control that you can't control. It's like, I'm a sweet tooth, I have brown eyes. 
so interesting to know that actually you can change. I mean, you can change your eye colour with contacts, let's be basic, <laughs> but you can absolutely change from being a sweet tooth to a non-sweet tooth. You can. And you do that by focusing on the process. And each time that you engage in the healthy behaviours, each time that you have that win, that you introduce the healthy habit, that you do the healthy habit, every repetition provides this evidence to your brain that this is the kind of person I am. So you know, conversely, if you every time you walk past sugar, chocolate, ice cream, lollies, you eat it, you, all those repetitions convince your brain I'm a sweet tooth. But then on the plus side, every time that you walk past the chocolates and you don't eat them, every time that you make a healthy choice, you are providing evidence to your brain that, ah, I'm a healthy eater. I just I just eat well. And that's who I am. And true change, as you said, Dr. Lucy, is identity change. And that is what we want for our beautiful people. Absolutely. So we do have this thing called Wonderful Wednesday. Mm, I love that. And we encourage people to share some of their behavioural changes. And I thought I'd just read a couple out because they I mean, Mares, you know, you and I, we always talk about how we've got the luckiest, you know, we've got the best job in the world because we do get to see people literally change their identity. So one of our members wrote this. We had a work farewell afternoon tea. One of my colleagues bought a passion fruit sponge in his mother had made. I'm talking full on CWA, that's Country Women Association, ladies award-winning sponge cake. I admired the hell out of it. And my colleague's mother, who must be 80, and my colleague's mother, who must be 80 plus. But I didn't eat any. I didn't even have a small pang of FOMO. The hypnosis showing us how to admire food like you admire flowers really worked. I just went, oh, yay. Beautiful. I know. It, and it is. It's powerful. It's powerful to change those stories. On the same day, another person wrote, I had an epiphany. I put in the chocolate boundary, stuck to it, and on Saturday night had my, in brackets, dark chocolate. I didn't really enjoy it. I've realised that for all these years I've been chasing dopamine hits and now I don't feel like I need to. I have found food freedom from chocolate. I just love them. And here's another one. I could read out hundreds. I think I'll stop soon because but it really here. <laughs> Susan wrote, I can now walk through the supermarket confectionery aisle without being tempted to buy anything. As a former sugar addict, this is quite an achievement. Thank you, RLM. And you know what? She's right. It is quite an achievement to be able to just go down a supermarket aisle and not even think about it. It's so, so wonderful. She's not there white-knuckling her way through it. She is there just with her food freedom going, yeah, whatever. That's right. It's We're not just outcome-focused. It's process-focused and identity-focused. <sighs> I know. Love it. I know. We are so lucky. So I guess that brings us to the next bit, Mares, which is our 12-week mind-body rebalance is starting very shortly. It is. Yay. I know. And we love it. It's so, I just feel so lucky that we have such a wonderful job with such wonderful people and helping people break free from diet culture, from being outcome focused as in weight loss at any cost is so rewarding and yes you're going to lose some weight like let's just that you're going to but the ticket to food freedom that's the thing that I love that ticket to food freedom 
it is incredibly freeing to just not be beholden for food. Food doesn't control you. You control food. It is a beautiful, calm and peaceful way to live your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, do you know what? I've got one more thing I was about to just wind it up and now I've just remembered. I just wanted to mention one thing. I see, and you do too, we see a lot of people in our program, not in our program necessarily, but in our clinics who have been trying to lose weight for years, years and years. We understand it can be really hard. And interestingly, I see a lot of people who have had bariatric surgery and the promise of bariatric surgery is that you will lose weight forever. But if you haven't changed your mindset or your relationship with food, there are many ways to sneak in (laughs) chocolate or lollies or ice cream or anything like that. And I see so many people who feel like a failure because they haven't kept the weight off or it hasn't stayed off. And to them, I always say, it is totally not your fault. You were promised an outcome. You were given one tool, but not all the tools. And managing your mind, you have to have that tool because as humans, we we can find loopholes to do anything. We are smart. We're a smart primate species. Yes. And uh, sadly, for permanent weight loss, there are actually no loopholes. You really do have to change your relationship with food. And when you do that, you have freedom forever, not just for the wedding that's coming up or the function that you want to uh, look good for. You have it forever. Mm. And our 12-week program is a great way to get there, the community. I love the community that we have discussed, as well as the coaching and the content. It sets people up for success. Absolutely. So the doors are currently open. The program starts May 14. If you're listening after May 14, you'll have to wait till August. But if uh, if you're listening at a current time, then please head over to our website, rlmedicine.com. You'll see the sign-up page and we cannot wait to see you in our community and changing your life forever. Forging food freedom. Absolutely. Lovely listeners, that's it from us this week. See you later. Have a great week. Catch you next time. Bye for now. So, my lovely listeners, that ends this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. And I'm Dr. Mary Barson. We're from Real Life Medicine. To contact us, please visit rlmedicine.com. And until next time, thanks thanks for for listening. listening. The information shared on the Real Health and Weight Loss podcast, including show notes and links, provides general information only. It is not a substitute nor is it intended to provide individualised medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, nor can it be construed as such. Please consult your doctor for any medical concerns.